Hi, it's David Averin with the Customer Experience Advantage Podcast. So how do you create a company culture that people actually want to work for and attract and retain both staff and customers? It's the holy grail of business, but it is elusive for so many. On today's program, I'm talking with Val Reese. She is a leadership coach and the author of the brand new book, Chief inspiration officer available online. It's a role that is growing in importance and the one that Val says that all leaders can adopt. It's David Averin on the Customer Experience Advantage podcast back in 20 seconds. You're listening to the Customer Experience Advantage podcast with David Averin, featuring candid conversations with some of the most influential leaders in business today. Sit back and listen in or feel free to watch the video version online. This is the Customer Experience Advantage Podcast, and here's David Averin. And welcome to the Customer Experience Advantage Podcast. We're actually talking off air here before we started. Um, listen, this is going to be a great conversation today because, you know, and it, depending on when you're watching this or listening to this, there's all this challenge, of course, about what is the new normal, the new next, the touch list tomorrow. But the, the problem, of course, isn't just in operations and supply chain, all of that, but it's it's in in retaining employees, uh, there's such a challenge in attracting and retaining the right people. But it's not just from a, an internal perspective, but also external, because of course, nothing happens until somebody sells something. And we have a whole new breed of customers and clients and patients and constituents and prospects. And everybody's looking at the world differently. And so that has a, a profound impact on leadership. How do we lead organizations that people actually want to work for? How do we lead organizations that a new generation of customers and clients want to buy from and to partner with? Well, today we're talking to Val Reese. And uh, Val's got a, a, an MBA. She's got executive coaching credentials. And she's got the brand new book, which is called Chief Inspiration Officer. And we know that because it's right behind her. So if you're watching the video version on my website or on the YouTube channel, you can see her. Val, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. So, so let's back up a little bit because because the, the world is different. Tell me what sort of brought you to where you are. I mean, you you've led sales teams and others, but mm -hmm. um, even even for those who who coach today and consult and work with leaders, and, and you've got a great moniker. You call yourself the Executive Muse. Uh, I love the term Muse because it's so loaded with um, with with meaning and action and deliverables. Tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to where you are today. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It took a long time to come up with that name, something that I, I really love. But I was uh, a registered nurse for a few years right out of school. And then I got into medical sales and I fell in love with selling and working with the customer and the client. And I wanted to learn more about business operations, leadership. So I went and got my MBA and my boss said, Hey, can you, I'm getting promoted. Will you lead a team? And I thought, sure, I did well as an individual contributor. So why not lead a team? That'll be easy. <laughs> and what I realized was it wasn't so easy. Not so much. Is it? <laughs> no, the first six months, I, I really didn't do so well. Uh, we were the worst performing region and I was devastated and determined not to fail. So I picked up every book I can find, every blog article. And I remember journaling on my living room floor and just thinking, what happened? Why, why can't I get this? 
And it was in that moment that I realized that I forgot what it's like to be the employee. I got so bogged down in like meetings and forecasts and budgets and pushing goals. And so that it, it almost became like robotic. Like you need to hit your number. You need to do this. You need to do that. And when people weren't, I was getting frustrated. And I realized that if I put myself back into the shoes of the employee, what is it that they're really craving? Sure. So that's, that's how I started to become passionate about leadership because I saw things start to shift when I changed. Yeah. Yeah. But let me, let me ask you a question though, because there's a lot of people you can, you can think of the, how, how this uh, applies to a lot of different industries. So some of the best teachers are students who had a great teacher and said, I want to be that. I want to have the same impact that my teachers had on me. I want to have on other people. But at what point does this sort of devolve into, I want to be the person that I wanted to work for and I want to be popular and I want to be really liked. And how much of that is really recognizing um, effectiveness? Because it is important to understand, to recognize and remember what it's like to be in the employee role as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember sitting there thinking, okay, if I look at all the qualities of my boss that promoted me, what are all the qualities that I really appreciated in him? And if I look at every single boss that I ever worked for, what were the things that I really admired? And I started making this big list. And then I started ranking myself on how I was showing up. And it wasn't so great. Uh, And it was in that moment where I thought, okay, if you really want to get what you need, then you have to give them what they need. And they're craving things like appreciation and to feel valued and effective communication and connection. And if we can do that, then I think what's happening is the employee is like the internal customer. So as much attention as we give to our external customers, excuse me, if we can give the same to our internal customers, to our employees, then that transfers into the customer world, I believe. Right. But, and, and let's, let's talk about more specifics, um, because whenever anybody talks about what they do, there's a voice in my brain, I think there's a voice in everybody's brain um, that says, to what end? So I do blank and blank. There's more than, than a few people who teach people how to do elevator speeches. I help people do blank and blank so they can blank and blank. I work with organizations. Too. And in my mind, here's the missing part. To what end? Mm-hmm. So that they can do more what? So that they can contribute more blank. So they can demonstrate a higher level of X. Fill those blanks in for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they can be loyal engaged, productive, efficient, positive, uh, good role models, collaborative. And when that happens in your team, you get more productivity. Uh, Now to what end is when you start to see an employee demonstrating that they're not accountable. I have a frog in my throat today. Okay, That's all right. That they're not accountable, that they're not coachable, that they're negative, that they're toxic, that they're bringing down the, the energy of the team. That's to the what end, right? Those are, that's when you're building an environment and people can, uh, so to speak, get on the, the train moving in that direction that you want to see. If you can create that, it's naturally going to show you who the outliers are. Um, that's to what end, I think. Sure. And and do you look at that? That's Alexa talking to me right mm-hmm. now. Alexa, cancel. 
because we are in a new world. Uh, if, talk to me about the converse. Talk to me about when things uh, are not working particularly well, because we're seeing uh, some significant organizational challenges across America and around the world. Uh, with a lot of external forces, right? Supply chain challenges with the, the great resignation as we're calling it everything else. But I know in the work that you do in your executive coaching on leadership is, is about affecting internally what we can affect. Mm -hmm. uh, talk to me about sort of the dichotomy between what we, we can uh, affect and what we can't and how that's playing out in the corporate world right now. Yeah, uh, such a great question because there's dysfunction in every organization, no matter how big or small. People There's are people. People are people. And right. people have different ways of seeing things, different personalities, and those things are going to clash at times. So I truly believe it's the leader's job to build what I call a strong microculture. Uh, microculture is being able to bring and unite a team together with common values, no matter what dysfunction is going on around them. And the way that we do that is first and foremost, we have to acknowledge the problems, right? Like we have to say like, I know this is frustrating. I know we're having these mistakes. I know that there's confusion on, you know, supply chain or, or whatever is going on. So that's the first thing because if employees don't feel heard, they're going to go start complaining to each other and then you get, get the water cooler talk and right. So or, or online, right. Or and, online, and the public water yeah. coolers and, and, uh, uh, was a glass door and some of the other things as well. Yeah. Yeah. And they start, they start looking for other jobs. They want out because they don't feel heard, you know, and it doesn't, as a leader, that doesn't mean you have to go and fix everything. Uh, so many times, David, when I ask leaders what their role is, they tell me that they're problem solvers. And I say, can I challenge that for a second and have you think about yourself being a solutions facilitator? Right. You, if all you do is pro solve them, prob solve, okay, edit, take that part out. If all you do is solve problems, then you're going to burn out as the manager because everyone's going to start coming and dumping things on you all the time because there will always be problems. But if we can shift to a solutions facilitator, then we are encouraging the people around us to come up with the solution, even when there might not be an evident solution, even when there's a solution that you know, we can or can't control. It's like, we can control a reaction to it. We can uh, acknowledge the customer that they're frustrated. There's so many things that we can do. We can lean on each other to get creative. But when we're not acknowledging and we're trying to just put out all the fires all the time, then they things pile on and people are negative. Um, to, to that end, um, it, it sort of gives me thought about... Uh, the difference between managing and leading, mm -hmm. right? Isn't leading the growing of the people. And if, if leaders take on those challenges themselves, then there will be a constant stream of, of, of problems coming their way, mm -hmm. right? I mean, be, I mean, here's the point I'm making is that, that ultimately we need to create, we're all gonna be busy all day, every day, right? There's no shortage. Uh, Covey talked about that, you know, the tornado, it, we're gonna fill up the calendar. But as we look to, and you help organizations build that culture, how do we get past the putting out of fires to be very intentional about who we want to be internally and who, what we want to exhibit externally? Because that's certainly what drives and, and retains customers as well. Yeah, yeah. So there's certain exceptions to every rule, right? There are going to be times where 
you have to put out the fire because it's just what we need to do in the moment. But let that be 10, maybe 20% of your day. The rest of it is asking the employee to come up with their own solutions and empowering them to think through things, leaning on each other, um, creating task forces um, in a meeting, asking their thoughts. Uh, when we do that, it puts the employee more in the driver's seat and has and, and sets the you're, you're starting to set the stage that you want them to come to you with some sort of solution versus dumping the problem. So you're redirecting. And to get to your question and what you're saying, like, how do we really set this precedent, this really strong and create this really strong culture? I talk about that in chapter six, I believe. I talk about something called the real ideal, which is getting really clear on what you want. What does your ideal employee look like? How do you take every single attribute that you're looking for? How do you narrow it down to like five things, define it, and, and then start to vocalize and verbalize that those are the things that are really important to you. So, you know, for example, like if you're working in sales, it could be that you're really looking for somebody that's resilient, right? So, and then let's say you, you define resiliency as um, someone who's resourceful and when there's a challenge, they, they have a positive attitude in that challenge and they can bounce back when they get no's and they can still connect with the client and create an environment that they're not dragged down when things don't go their way, right? So let's say you define that as, an, as a leader and now every opportunity that you have when you're talking to somebody say, hey, I'm really looking for you to be resilient in this. I'm, it's really important to me that you bounce back fast, right? Sure. So you, you've defined this and now you can communicate it. And when you communicate it, people respond because they really understand what you're looking for. But isn't it also the whole idea of, of institutionalizing those cultural norms? I'm saying this is who we are. And mm -hmm. so if, if resilience is one of those things, here are the common behaviors that we expect in everyone as we create a culture, uh, the common behaviors that will lead to this. And when we have outliers, when we have those challenging situations, at least we have a North Star to fall back on. This is who we are. And it's not just the, uh, the you know, the, the, the strategic or the, the mission statement or the vision statement that we put on a plaque or what we put in a notebook, but these are the things that, that we verbalize and we reinforce and we live every day culturally. Yes. And it, and you know what, the little microculture that you develop within your own team and department, it could feel a little different than a different, a, another department. So you have sure. a company that has their own like mission statement and, and values that like maybe HR or the executive team created. But uniquely in your own department, it's so important to do that. And, and as the leader, like I, when I work with my clients, we define it, but I really encourage them to have that all hands-on meeting and say, hey, I have it in my mind what I think makes a really great member of our team, but I'm curious what you guys think and walk them through the same exact exercise as a group. And it can be really eye-opening, but, but what it also does is it unites what the leaders wanting with what the team is thinking and gets everyone on the same page. And it, it actually is an exercise that begins to ensure that everyone's holding each other to a certain level of standard sure. um, because they've all agreed <laughs> to 
but right. these are, this is what makes a really good leader or a member of the team. Yeah. We're talking to Val Reese, the author of Chief Inspiration Officer. So we, we can talk about it as in terms of, of how it manifests internally with the team and, and, and attracting and retaining and creating the culture that everybody knows where they are, what's expected, and the right people will you know, adhere and the, you know, it's the groom or broom, right, for those who do not. But talk to me about how that is perceived and recognized and manifests externally. Uh, mm -hmm. Everybody will fall back on the Sir Richard Branson thing that says, you know, it, it's very simple. If you treat your employees well, they'll treat their customers well. I don't agree. I think it's mm -hmm. a ridiculous assertion that just because somebody's happy that they're going to treat their customers well. Um, but I think when we are intentional, mm -hmm. when we articulate, here's who we want to be seen as mm -hmm. by our customers and clients and constituents and patients or others, here's how we manifest that. Here's how we demonstrate it day in, day out. How does that internal culture, the microcultures, the leadership that you do as the executive muse through your business, how is that, um, how is that created and manifest and recognized externally as well? Yeah, I think employees need to be empowered to have the conversation with clients. If they have to run everything by their manager or get everything approved, then they're they're not showing up confident in front of a client. And so when an employee is yes, happy, and also empowered or inspired to use the title of the book, um, they are going to be more calm, more confident, more acknowledging with the customer, uh, more curious versus what I see typically is like, have you ever, I know you've, everyone's experienced this, right? Where you have a problem, you call like, let's say customer service and they're like, oh, I have to talk to my manager and I'll get back sure. to you. And now you're frustrated as a customer, right? But if that employee was empowered to, to not only recognize that I'm frustrated as a consumer, but also to say, here's what I can do for you right now. Um, and it's resolved and it's done and it's beautiful, right? So I think that's where the disconnect comes from is that empowerment piece. Sure. But also, don't you think that having a, a commonality, having a clear North Star uh, creates also consistency in experiences for customers as well? And I'm not talking about scripts. I'm talking about everybody knows who we are, what's expected. Here's how we behave. Here's how we serve. Here's our mindset that is reinforced internally. And here's how it um, is communicated externally. Uh, because I think so many organizations that work to create their brand, and granted, there's an internal brand that's important for recruitment. But externally, a lot of that is driven by a measure of consistency. And that starts with leadership as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I think the real ideal method where you're defining your real ideal employee and how they show up can also be transferred to now how do we want to show up for the customer you know how do we how do we want to handle challenges how do we want to communicate things um, what kind of experience do we want to create and all of that can be defined and when those things are defined now the employee is empowered to go out and handle things in a certain way because they understand and they they know it's okay Right. 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 Yeah. And, and we spend a third of our life at work, right? A third of our life, we miss it because we're asleep. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but, but let's go back to the, the title of your book for chief inspiration officer. Some organizations are recognizing the importance mm-hmm. of a designated individual, but, but clearly everybody can play that role mm-hmm. or have that role in terms of inspiring people. Um, to dispel the notion of this being touchy-feely, to dispel the notion of a soft skill, talk to me about um, inspiration as it relates to expectations. How do we drive behavior? Um, How does somebody become inspiring in a way that produces tangible results internally Mm -hmm. and externally? Yeah. So as you're talking, one of the things that came to mind was uh, one of my um, endorsers for the book and somebody that is, um, I've spoke at his association meetings. um, He mentioned to me the other day that he feels like there can only be one CEO and COO and CFO and CTO, but there could be multiple CIOs or chief inspiration officers. And I really love that he said that because Every, everybody who is in any kind of role, it doesn't even have to be the leader. We all can be inspiring each other. We can all be lifting each other up when we're feeling down. We can be listening to each other. So yes, it may seem intangible, like what is inspiration and how do we measure that? But I think we measure that by seeing a decrease in attrition and in and we measure that by productivity. We measure that with customer scores um, and net promoter scores. Um, we see less sick days. We see people um, staying later and not because they're being paid to or asked to, but because they want to. We see people recommending their friends to come into the organization. So when you increase your, when you start inspiring people, you all those measured things start to go up in theory. Except for one thing, I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna say one thing that I do see happen when I start teaching this is I do sometimes see an initial um, increase in people leaving, which is the irony, right? Yeah. And that is because as the leader gets more Le- clear, leaving in what way? You mean working with organizations? Yeah. Some of yeah. the initial people who don't buy in say, "Screw this, I'm gone." Yeah, yeah. Like, they, yeah. They, tell me more about that. Well, they got hired, maybe some of these cultural um, uh, cultural norms weren't as defined or the, le- the leader comes in and they didn't hire the employee. And so now that they're becoming more clear on what they want and they are becoming more comfortable with asking for what they want, you get pushback from some people. Yeah. You know, that's not how I always did it or that's not how my past manager did it, right? And so sometimes what I see is when I come and do the training, there's this, there's this little uh, dip initially of people resisting. And what's really neat about that is that the leader becomes more confident to make the decision to part ways because they understand now why, why it's, they've always had that red flag, but now they're understanding like something's not right here. And now I understand it's because I'm really looking for these five things. And this person checks off the box for maybe two of the five and I'm getting all this resistance and they're not coachable. It's time to part ways. Right. But but, but even beyond that, doesn't, doesn't it also, don't they recognize where the toxicity affects the rest of the organization because here's the, the dichotomy today the real challenge and you know this because you're dealing with leaders every day i used to lead ceo roundtable groups um and embarking on new initiatives as well and we have those conversations that they struggle with the any warm body dilemma 
They do. Which is, am I better off keeping somebody who's kind of a pain in the ass or not having that person? But we know from a leadership perspective that the bad eggs Mm -hmm. and everybody's a good person, yeah, we'll give them that. But those saboteurs, those inadvertent saboteurs through negativity um, can really spoil an internal culture. And everybody's watching. Everybody's watching. You're right. And they're watching to see how the manager is going to handle it. And and if you let it slide or you ignore it, it it does show weakness on the leader. Uh, Those things absolutely need to be addressed. Now, here's what I typically see is people just don't know how, because what happens is the person who's negative and defensive usually is because at the core, they want to be valued and they want to be heard. And their defense mechanism is to be the loudest in the room so they can be heard. And if they're the loudest in the room, even though it can feel heavy or negative or defensive or angry, at least they're heard and then they feel valued, right? So there's a bit of this disconnect happening. And many leaders don't know how to say to the employee, listen, you know, we hear you and you are valued and you're valued because of X, Y, Z. However, However. you notice (laughs) that being the loudest in the room is making people uncomfortable. And there's a different way to go about this. It's really important we remain calm. It's really important to me that we're positive. And I need to see that you can come into these meetings or these scenarios and and handle things from a more calm and positive way. Can I count on you for that? If you can do that, if you, and I teach how to do that in chapter eight, if you can, if if you can have that conversation in a really calm way and don't match their negative energy, um, we have a chance of redirecting that behavior. You might have to say things a couple times, but if you, I have seen about 75, 80% of the cases when we, we just change the way the leader is communicating what they're looking for and, and they do it in that way. I've seen it turn around those negative employees. Sure. But there's outliers, of course. There's outliers. And, and so I wanted to say is there's outliers. There, there are people who who will not be inspired, who cannot be inspired. And mm-hmm. we invite them to um, find other opportunities. Absolutely. Because, because it manifests itself both ways. Because let's go back to culture, right? Mm-hmm. So when you've got individuals, in, individuals internally who are negative and they're not always the loudest in the room, sometimes they're the quietest in the room. And the only way we hear them is because we hear the loud sigh. Mm-hmm. We hear the ex- ex- expulsion of, of uh, it's the wrong word, uh, of air or the you know, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or the eye rolling. And mm-hmm. that's when you take those individuals aside and you say, I under- I, I noticed that you uh, seem to be a little bit distressed. Can we have that conversation? But the point I'm making is that it's both internal and external mm-hmm. because we have all seen those employees. And my wife is wonderful. She wants to give everybody grace. They probably had, yeah, somebody might've had a bad day, but you're on the clock. Mm-hmm. And so when you get that person who clearly is not happy to be there, mm-hmm. right, we want to give them the benefit, but what does that do to, um, you look at the opposite of inspiring, to demotivate those around them, to uh, damage the brand because there's a lack of cons- consistency. So yeah. we see it in behavior, behavior both internally and externally, don't we? Yeah. And if you, if you can practice the communication formula, um, that I lay out. I, I do give examples of how to do that just in day-to-day challenges, but also in, in a situation where I call you, where I 
call out having someone on your team that is an energy vampire. Uh, right. And we've all heard of that term, right? Yes, we have. And it's just like, no matter how calm you address the situation or how much you try to redirect it, just nothing's happening. They're just going to push back and resist. It's time. It's time to part ways because I, I do feel like the behavior um, is where the challenge is, is when the behavior is bad, but the results are good. So you, you see that a lot in sales, right? You see it in sales, absolutely. Yeah. A superstar who's just a pain in the ass to be around, but yeah. you you grin and bear it because they're pulling numbers. Yes. I had I remember having a top performer on my team. She was she was great. Um, customers loved her. She always exceeded her sales numbers. She drove me crazy. I started to dread her phone calls and the amount of stress because she would call me three, four, five times a day with problems and just everything was very dramatic and negative. And then she had that heavy energy on the calls. And I didn't know what to say, but I remember one day just saying, I'm going to call her Debbie, just for confidentiality. Sure. Debbie, you are great. Your customers absolutely love you. And I want you on this team because, because you bring value. I do notice that every time there is a problem, because you love your customers so much, that it creates so much stress for you. It creates so much stress for me because you're coming to me with so much emotion. And I'm asking for the benefit of your client, can you come to me with some ideas, come to me calmly, come to me with solutions. And also Debbie, go to other departments with the same level of calmness because you're calling customer service and operations and finance and tech support with this same level of drama. And then we're all managing your emotion instead of the issue. Great. And I was like, I don't know where this came from, but I was able to just be honest and lay it out there. And also at the same time, acknowledge what she's doing well, which is very different than the, you know, what they call the SHIT sandwich, because I wasn't right. like positive, negative, positive, but I was like, hey, this is what's, what's great about you. Here's what I'm noticing is happening. Here's what I need moving forward. Can you do that for me? Right. Yeah. So Debbie turned but, around. I was like, oh, I could breathe. <laughs> you know, yeah, but, like, but, but you, you were intentional. You were, you were solution oriented as well. Um, here's, here's the last thing I want to talk about is in the challenging time that we are, um, that we're in right now, recruiting is a big deal. Uh, finding talent is a very competitive um, environment right now for, for most industries, most businesses. Uh, and then there's others with the whole any warm body. We have a, a well-known fast casual restaurant near our home, just south of Denver, that closes at four o'clock every day. It's, it's a national chain. They close at four o'clock because they can't find staff. Like that is their new thing. I mean, they're not even open for dinner and it is a well-known dinner restaurants. So there's, there's got some competing forces right now. There's the any warm body. Mm -hmm. And then there's also on an organizational level, how do we, and maybe this is a question for you, how do leaders move farther upstream to make sure that we're attracting the right people who fit the culture that we've already uh, established and mm -hmm. cultivated internally? How do we move upstream to recruit and hire and vet those people earlier in the process? So we're bringing in the right people that we are not constantly taken off task to manage. Yeah. So for one, assuming that you've done this real ideal exercise or whatever's the equivalent in your organization, right? That you are really clear on the qualities that you want, 
values you want, you infuse that into your job description. I see so many job descriptions that are very technical. Um, employee will do this, will carry this, must have these skills, education. It sounds very robotic. And then they're frustrated why they're not getting good candidates. If we can infuse those qualities into the job description, you'll start to see the, those personalities come towards you more. And then if we can also do that in the questions that we ask. So for example, we talked about resiliency earlier. If we can ask questions about how somebody's demonstrated resiliency, we're gonna understand a little bit more if they're cut out for the job. Uh, thirdly, we do need to pay. I mean, let's not, as, as inspiring as we wanna yep. be, let's not. I have to make some assumptions that we are paying fairly um, and that we're competitive in the marketplace. So I don't wanna discount pay. However, if pay is a factor, that is not the number one reason people stay. It's appreciation. Sure. So feeling appreciated at work, feeling valued. And lastly, I will say that the onboarding experience matters. And there are multiple studies that show that if the onboarding experience is not good, um, and, and good is defined as they got integrated into the team, they felt part of a community, they understood the culture, and people were were genuinely excited to know about them and what qualities they brought on early on. It, it's like a 77% increase in people that will stay past 18 months. Sure. So if, if you, you know, if all those things are in alignment, then um, we're going to find better candidates. But if somebody comes on board and for three to four weeks, they hear from nobody and, except maybe it to set up their computer and there's been no introduction to them. I see that. I see that because we're busy and it's like, oh, I'm new to the company, but I don't know anyone yet. Right. So, you know, the other thing I've heard is for people who've yeah. gone through the early process, because I concur, the onboarding part is, is really important. And it's not the three days that they learn how to log into their stuff, right? It's a month long or longer. Those early employees have also been in the process in many cases of a job search. So they've already mm -hmm. talked to multiple, they chose you over the other opportunities, but those other ones are fresh in their mind, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I like the idea of uh, a mentor. As soon as someone comes on board, uh, you have a meeting right off the bat that you're introducing and not just like, hey, welcome, you know, Jim to the team. We're glad to have you. Like, I want to know, like, Jim probably wants to know, hey, why is the team there? Why do people love what they do? So go around and ask for a few minutes, like, hey, why don't you all share what brought you to our company? And Jim, the same, what, what made you choose us, right? And how Jill, Jim feels part of the community, he's integrated. And maybe we all go around and we, we ask Jim, you know, Jim, what is it about you that, you know, if we were, I love this question. I actually got it from Daniel Pink's book, Drive. Um, I was thinking about that as well. Yeah. Yeah. He, there's that whole study that was done uh, with a call center. There, they, the, it's call center, high turnover. So they, the CEO thought that just high turnover was how it was going to be. Do you know this study? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. and, and, and of course, everybody knows that the very famous whiteboard animation for, for Drive that Daniel Pink did as well. He and I both did, uh, spoke at a conference together. But yeah, but go ahead and explain that for our listeners and our viewers as well. Yeah, so, so the CEO said, you know what, let me just try something just, to, just for fun. Like he didn't think that anything would happen. He took his control group, which were people came in, they got the standard training, they went to their desk, and that's it. 
Then he did group one where he said, you know, with this group, let's give them a, a sweater with the company logo and let's um, introduce them at a team meeting, right? right. And then, then the second group was, um, let's, you know what, let's do something different. Let's do all that, but let's give them the sweater with the company logo and their name on it. And then it, instead of just introducing them at the company meeting, we're going to ask the question like, hey, if we were all on an island right now, what value would you bring to our team? And have them almost like sell themselves into why right. they're there, right? And so that's it. You know, it took like an extra 30 minutes and maybe a couple more dollars to engrave their name. But of course, you know, the control group had the same attrition. They left. And then group one, I think it was like, oh, I have to go back and look at my percentages. But, you know, it was like 80%. Yeah, but it was clearly um, demonstrated. And yeah. yeah, and then it was like three time, you know, 180% on group two, right? So, yeah. but, but it starts yeah. with being very, uh, going through a process and whether they're hiring you or other process or, or through the book of being clear of who we want to be. Here's who we are. Here's what we believe. Here's how we behave um, as a result of that. Because inspiration, it can come from just, just observing somebody else loving what they do. It can yeah. just come from, from being surrounded by high performers. That is in and of itself is inspiring, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. When I was getting covers from my publisher on the book, most of the covers were some sort of symbol of the leader being first, right? So let's right. say it was like a, a pencil and there was one pencil that stood out amongst all the other pencils underneath right. or a fish that was in the front. Right. The alpha leader. Yeah. yeah. And I said, Hey, that's not what this is about. You know, right. being an inspiration officer is everyone is part of the team. Everyone is coming together to unite and we're listening to each other and understanding each other and celebrating one another and, you know, and asking each other what we think. Right. So, uh, that's where the hot air balloon and being in the balloon and we're all on this journey together. And it also is a light bulb. I mean, there's just so much, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, for, the, for the visual, for those who are listening yeah. right now, once again, the book is Chief Inspiration Officer. Um, I think it's a great double entendre. I think it's a great conversation. And I think it's an ongoing conversation that organizations need to have because what happens with your customers and clients begins what happens with what happens within the organization. And that begins with, uh, intentionality. There's no shortage of players in the marketplace who are good at what they do. Mm -hmm. The question is, how good are you at, at how you do it and how you do it together? And how visible is that to your customers and clients? Val Reese, how do people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about you working with you and your new book, Chief Inspiration Officer? Yeah, well, look, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, right? But um, directly executive-muse, M-U-S-E.com. Uh, if they go on there, they're going to get so many freebies. Like I have a, are you the manager everyone wants to work for quiz? Um, takes about two minutes to do that quiz. And that's, that's a fun one. I offer a free chapter of my book. And then book readers also get the free um, first module of my online course. So I turn the book into an online course. So uh, book readers get a little coupon code that they enter and they get access that way as well. Cool. Samples are important. Mm -hmm. Give a sense of this, but I think the best, the best sample is, is being able to uh, listen in on a great conversation. 
Uh, we are kindred spirits. Val Reese, thanks for being with us here on the show. Uh, hang around. We're going to talk real quickly on the other side of this. Uh, my little plug at the end, this podcast this podcast is sponsored in part by the Customer Experience Advantage Morning Huddle. You know, some of the most innovative solutions to your biggest customer-facing challenges are most often found within the creative minds of your own people. I know Val would agree with that. Let me, David Avern, contribute to your morning huddle conversation with your team. You can learn about, you can learn more about uh, participating in my powerful global initiative, The Morning Huddle, by visiting themorninghuddle.org. All of my books are available on Amazon, including my new book. If I move things off to the side, my new book, of course, called The Morning Huddle. Powerful customer experience conversations to wake you up and shake you up and win more business. All the rest of my books are here strategically located next to my head. If you're watching the, ver the visual version of this as well, be sure to click to like this podcast, subscribe. Uh, please subscribe, leave your comments below and click the little bell icon to receive notifications of new episodes. You can learn more about my keynote speaking, my consulting at davidaverin.com. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Customer Experience Advantage podcast. Check out past episodes, leave a comment. Big thanks to my guest, Val Reese. I'm David Averin. Be good. This has been the Customer Experience Advantage podcast with David Averin. Feel free to leave a comment and be sure to hit the thumbs up button. You can listen to past episodes and be notified of future ones by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. David's popular marketing and customer experience books are available in print, as well as Kindle and audiobook, and published in multiple languages around the world. You can stay connected and learn more at davidaverin.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.